Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hey, Mary. Happy last day of London Film Festival. Happy last day of LFFT too. I can't believe it. We've survived another festival. And we've enjoyed a festival. We've actually really... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This has been one of the best festivals I've been to in many years. So I'm very excited to talk to you. This is a bonus episode. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we are definitely coming back with our final episode of Erotic Films. But um, yeah, we just we saw so many kind of we saw so many good films and we just thought we kind of we'd want to share them with our audience and tell them recommend what they should see maybe in the next few months. Absolutely. Yeah, I think especially since we both enjoyed the festival this year, it really deserves like a dedicated show to do a roundup and give you guys our recommendations and just like our experience of the festival this year. Exactly. And also, you know, we we love discussing films with you guys as well. So if you saw some of the same films or if you see them later and you had a different opinion to us, you know, we'd love to hear feedback as well. Um, Yeah. Sound off in the comments. Sound off in the comments. But yeah, I think first of all, you know, I know we've we've been a bit ambivalent about LFF Mm -hmm. for a little while. And I think that that's, you know, maybe due to COVID uh, as well. It hasn't been as it hasn't been as good or there's been kind of like a shadow hanging over it. Mm. Maybe not like a great selection of films coming out. Um, But I just want to say they did so well this year. You Definitely. know, like they delivered some really great people, like some really great directors and some films that we were really, really looking forward to anyway. And their press viewing system was really good because yes. last year there were films that we didn't get into because they didn't have, they didn't, they didn't have capacity. They didn't, you know, provide. Yeah. But this year, you know, you had this like, you had this thing where you get, went and got a token and then you could, you know, you knew you were getting in, you could just go and get a coffee and everyone fit. No one was left waiting. I don't think for any. I didn't have to. I didn't miss any films because of the because of the capacity issue. Same. So, and it was lovely to have it in the in the Picture House Central, where you could, you know, you've got like a lovely bar and a, a coffee place, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just. I found the whole thing really enjoyable. And the last time I enjoyed it that much was 2018. So mm-hmm. it's been a long time. Yeah, same. I I would second that for sure. It was mm-hmm. just a good atmosphere. There were no like logistical problems. They added extra press screenings where it was necessary. Um, my one small complaint is so minor, but like, you know, I got some staff tickets and as ever in the, this, this festival, you have to show up half an hour before the screening to print it. And sometimes the venues don't open. And Mm. if you're in press screening and you have to rush out, like it's just complicated. So that was a bit of a downer, but it didn't affect me that much. I think it was just a problem on two occasions. But other than that, I really loved it. I'm glad I got the accreditation again this year. I was like on the fence, but I'm glad I, I went with it again because it really didn't disappoint. It was fantastic. No, definitely not. Um, so yes, should we start off with our like big, big highlights? I know you have loads because you love loads of them. You picked really well this year. Yeah, I'm like, I I can't believe it. I thought I was just going to have one or two gems to like Mm. report back. But actually, I can say that I've loved, I mean, I saw 16 films in total. And it's basically like split pretty evenly. I really didn't like four. (laughs) I have to say, I'll start with that. There's also four that I'm sort of on the fence about. But then eight, I simply adored and I'm like enthusiastically recommending and did not think this was going to happen. Okay, amazing. What do you want to start with? 
Well, my my favorite that I've seen um, for sure has to be the whale. Yeah. Okay. Shall we share the story of that for, for our listeners? Oh, God. Yeah. You go. You go. <laughs> okay. So that was on Tuesday, which is actually my last day at the festival because I had to stop going because I had work. Mm. And um, uh, I'd seen you the day before at a different screening. I can't remember which one. Oh, Decision to Leave. Yeah. And we had agreed that we were going to get up and go to the whale and sit together and I, you know, I had like one of those nights where I was like tossing and turning and like being waking up every five minutes because I was worried I was going to oversleep because I'm not good at the early screenings. I'm a terrible morning person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I like I got there. I joined a queue of about five people and I was like, yeah, you know, like I did, you know, the, the in, I got ready really fast. My boyfriend was like, do you want porridge? And I was like, no, I don't have time. And he was like, sure, you have time. And I was like, I don't have time. Get out of my way. Like, I'm the whale. And as I was waiting in the queue, I was like, Mary's, you know, Mary's not here yet. I thought she loved Aronofsky. I thought... <laughs> And then when you did finally arrive, I learned that the screening wasn't at eight o'clock. It was at eight thirty, and so I had arrived an hour before the screening. <laughs> I was very impressed when I got there, and you were at the head of the queue, and I'm like, "Damn!" So I was like at the head of the queue with my arms folded. Like, what time do you call this? <laughs> I was like, gosh, I didn't realize Sarah was such a passionate Aronofsky <laughs> fan, like bigger than I am, you know? But um, but no, sure enough, you just arrived earlier. Yeah, I was just there but almost before anyone. But we did get good seats. Amazing seats. Amazing seats. And then um, it was just a pure cathartic melodrama. Yeah. And luckily yeah. I had tissues because yes. we both worked buckets. <laughs> We really did. That ending broke me. It was so devastating and really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I love Aronofsky. I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily this is my favorite film by him, but it's certainly up there in like maybe top five from what he's done before. Yeah. Um, and he just doesn't disappoint. He's very good at representing isolationists on the screen. I think at this point, it's fair to say he's sort of a philosopher, the way that he approaches these stories. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, you're absolutely right. It's a melodrama and that's okay. Like that's a valid, legitimate form of filmmaking. I really don't understand when people are dismissive of his style because and they re- they use the word melodramatic in a pejorative way. I, th- I find that very ignorant and um, frankly, just like just judgy and and kind of kind of silly. You know, that's that, that shows a lack of knowledge of cinema when people speak about melodrama in a pejorative way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know it's not always done well. No, because it's not. there were definitely there was other there were films that I saw in that festival that I actually thought were using the melodrama genre mm-hmm. not very well. Um, but that was brilliant. But maybe it's not always comfortable for everyone to feel emotional during of a course. film screening. I mean, it's not to everybody's taste. You know, yeah. it's okay to say that this is simply not to my taste or it left me cold or whatever, and I couldn't yeah. take it seriously. But to say, to use the word melodrama as an insult, I mm-hmm. think is extremely like wrongheaded. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love The Whale, you know, Um definitely go and see it. I thought the response overwhelmingly online afterwards was extremely positive. People seem to really love and be rooting for Brendan Fraser. He was brilliant. Um, so yeah, I, I, I will probably rewatch it, you know, when it comes back out on this, on, on the screen. 
Yeah, same, definitely. I would definitely watch it again. And I actually feel that way about most Aronofsky films. Yeah. Even if I remember going to see Mother with you and not really liking it initially. I mean, I obviously mm. loved The Whale, but I wasn't, it's not that I didn't like it, but I wasn't, mm. um, I was confused by it. But then I've mm. watched it like three or four times since. So I, and I do really like it. Now I understand what it is. Yeah. And I think there were maybe a couple of moments at the beginning of The Whale where I was like, there's a lot of music in this film. Like, <laughs> it's the main thing. I was like, there's a lot of music. Like, there's never a moment without music what's going on and then as soon as it clicked into place it's a melodrama yes it, I was like oh okay I understand what's going on here I understand what this film is yeah. and then I just I fully enjoyed it also lovely to see Samantha Morton who I didn't expect <gasps> oh no so good she's so good I just oh my god she's just something else she's like an ethereal she's oh, such a talent she's such a talent absolutely brilliant and it's really yeah. nice you don't see her loads I guess I, I know she's on tv quite a lot yeah, that was wonderful. I just, yeah. And Brendan Fraser, it was so lovely. He was so I know brilliant. He was truly wonderful, magnificent. What is your highlight of the festival? Is it the whale? It is the whale. I mean, okay. to be honest, it's the Tuesday, which um, mm. was the whale followed by Triangle of Sadness. Mm-hmm. Because, and I don't know if, if maybe if I'd seen both the films on a different day, they wouldn't have stuck with me quite so much, but it was the cathartic, the cathartic <laughs> like purging of the whale, followed by like the ridiculous. It was like the sublime of the whale, followed by the ridiculous of <laughs> Triangle of Sadness, and I just felt like so balanced by the end of the day. You know, like I just felt like I'd had every need, every cinematic need met. Yeah, at the end of the day, by these two opposing films, <laughs> you know, and I so I don't know if Triangle of Sadness wouldn't have would have been as effective on me if I hadn't seen the whale uh, like an hour before, but because I was sort of in this like very kind of vulnerable, like you know, vulnerable but also like cried out kind of state, mm. like I felt then I kind of felt built like built up by like the cynicism and the comedy of Triangle of Sadness. And I also found it less kind of, like, even though it was very cynical, I found it less cruel than his other films. Yes. Um, Like, I felt there was something a bit more unifying for me Mm. about what happened, about the, about, you know, it felt like anyone he was kind of making fun of, he also had, there was also humanity to these people. And I didn't feel that with The Square. Okay. Um, I felt like they, in the square, people are just cartoons. And in Triangle of Sadness, I didn't feel that so much. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, really enjoyed it. I had so, I laughed out loud so much. I had yes. such a nice time, you know, and it was – and I didn't mind that it was two and a half hours long. And that's saying something because I usually mind when films are long. I, I didn't it, even notice the time pass by. Me neither. I, you know, like, the idea – the fact that it was in three parts, when, yeah. when uh, someone told me it was in three parts, I was like, oh, God, like <laughs> – that's really, you know, that's going to be really long. And but it didn't feel, it didn't feel like I was waiting for one part to end and another part to begin. I just, I just, it just took me along for the ride, and I thought it was great. Also, and I liked the dual vomiting in the whale and <laughs> yes. triangle of sadness, which is kind yes. of an interest for me. And now an interest for our friend Brad Hansen as well. Yes, apparently so. So I hope that like I don't get forgotten in the canon of um bodily fluids in cinema specialists. I mean you're when, a pioneer in this when canon. Brad does his talk. Um but yeah he had plenty of material that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it is so interesting. Like it is and it's it's also fascinating to me as two films, The Whale and 
triangle of sadness on consumption. Yes. And like, and you know, the, 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 the ever perennial idea from Sigmund Freud of melancholia and the desire to incorporate the lost object back into the subject through consumption, through the oral passage. Yeah, it was Um, just like, it was just that theory on film. Yeah, totally. That was that Tuesday. It was like, you know, um, obviously, you know, in the well, it's like a sort of binge eating disorder or that character's decision to commit suicide by overeating. And in Triangle of Sadness, it's really like conspicuous consumption, you know. Um, But yeah, brilliant, brilliant, uh, you know, execution actually in both very different styles. I actually thought, I mean, I said it, I said as much to you in the screening of Triangle of Sadness. I couldn't believe that the the huge amount of influence there of Benoel. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it's really nice to see that. It's a wonderful homage to, you know, Bunuel's films um, representing kind of unequal class divisions. Um, but but really bringing in that kind of spirit of Bunuel, which is absurdism. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was fantastically done, uh, really engaging, very funny at times. Uh, so yeah, huge recommendation also from me as well. My only bone to pick with the, with Triangle of Sadness. Now I think about it, mm-hmm. is the fashion show at the beginning. Oh yeah, um, because and I find this, you know, and I we've talked about this before. We've done a whole fashion film series mm-hmm. that you know it's very rare that the film industry gets the fashion industry right. Yeah, and I thought that that. I thought that that fashion show with like the with the nonsensical like messages coming up on the screen, mm-hmm. and even the clothes themselves, I was like, "Come on, you can do better than this." Yes. Like it, it's too. This is too obvious, you know. Like, and it's not even just people that know about fashion or have worked in fashion. Like, I think that that for me was like it was a bit lazy. I think there was. I yeah. think that could have been that could have been more sophisticated. That fashion joke. Um, for sure but you know it's it it happens it's something that if you know about fashion or if you worked in fashion you have to get used to is the cinema's (laughs) always gonna always gonna kind of caricature it and make it I don't know you can I think you can caricature fashion and make fun of fashion without resorting to stereotypes yes and I thought it was a stereotype I thought it was like Zoolander or something you know wow good point yeah but you know it happens it happens in in most films about fashion it's to be expected I think that's a very fair point you can carry you, you can sort of poke fun at it but you also have to maybe take the effort to understand it I which, agree yeah no? and yes. I think you know I've definitely I don't think that when people do make films with about fashion that they do bother to kind of do the research exactly. or to immerse themselves mm-hmm. and so that's but it's fine you know there's that's not fine. and it was yeah. it was fi- it was a five minute part of the film yeah, yeah, yeah and I can understand why you wouldn't have spent like you know a, a year <laughs> as an intern for that like to write that bit of the script you know like you don't it's fair like I think the budget would have extended to that but sure. so yeah that was probably my favorite that was definitely my favorite day but oh, I also okay. had I just had lots of like lots of highlights throughout the throughout the rest of the days as well okay tell me what are your other highlights what what are the ones that you absolutely recommend so I'm I think this isn't so much just about the film 
Mm. But I think that's the thing. I've had so many highlights of, you know, that I got to see you much more this year. Yeah, like, and I, you know, great. last year we just ran into each other on the last film of the, of the you know, the festival. Oh, yeah. And also that we know, like, I, you know, I feel like I know a lot more people. Mm-hmm. So I did kind of keep sitting next to people I knew. And that was also really nice to kind of bump into more people and for it to be like less of an isolating experience. Mm-hmm. But so part of the reason why I liked this so much was because I went to the public screening and the director spoke beforehand and it was Holy Spider. <gasps> Amazing. Um, which you liked too. I loved think. it. It's on my highlight list too. It's on your highlight list. Um, mm-hmm. So I loved the film, but mm-hmm. I also loved the introduction because mm-hmm. it was obviously, you know, it's obviously a very painful t- You You know, you know more than yeah. anyone, a very painful time to talk about Iran yeah and um so that was mentioned a lot in you know by the actors and the director and um people started kind of singing in the audience Iranian people in the audience amazing uh, which was all very kind of inspiring but what I really particularly appreciated was um the director um uh Ali Abbasi yeah um he said something and I wish that I had recorded it because I used to do that but I just I wasn't on it this year I used to record the intros but I I just forgot to do it but he said a couple of things one which was that he while he was making the film or developing the film he um he sort of gained he gained he felt sympathetic towards because you know the film is based on a true crime about a serial killer Mm -hmm. and he said he felt sympathy for the this this serial killer Mm-hmm. And I think like just that in itself is actually quite a brave thing to say these days yeah. that you're sympathetic to someone who's, you know, committed a very, a very kind of a hideous act of violence. Mm. Um, and then he said that, you know, you will be tempted to watch this film and feel judgmental about, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you want to say, the misogyny, the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, and he was like, I would urge you to watch this film and think more about what you have in yourself that mirrors what's happening on screen because it's he said something he said I think he was kind of referring to kind of to Islamic extremism yeah but he said it's you know if we have a problem it's because those problems existed within us beforehand Mm -hmm. and it's not you know it's not that and I just think that that was such a kind of psychoanalytic thing to say you know he meant it politically you know he mm-hmm. said like you know this this country was not perfect before exactly you know before this regime was imposed or before you know these things started happening yeah. um but it's also something worth thinking about when you're angered about a film or you're angered about a tv mm-hmm. show or you know or something happening like i don't know i just think it's such a brilliant way to look to look at films to you know what look at films and even if you really reject that they're anything to do with you especially actually if you reject that they have anything to do with you then you should think about what it brings up about yourself you oh know? wow that is so profound and so vital it That's was so-, so vital and just so refreshing yeah <laughs> because he could have stood up he could have stood up on that stage and just pointed his finger and condemned you yeah. know and he could have, and he could have, would have got a huge round of applause for doing that, you know, like that, because that, and I was thinking mm-hmm. about the Jeffrey, the Jeffrey Dahmer uh, mm-hmm. conversation and this, that there, you know, I've seemed to have read a lot of stuff about you shouldn't watch, we should not watch this. 
Oh, yeah. And I, I think that's very bizarre to be saying that about anything, you know, like to be telling mm-hmm. people that they're not allowed or not supposed to watch something. And so for him to kind of get up on stage and say, no, I've made this, it's based on a true crime. This mm-hmm. really happened. And I felt compassion for the person that did this. And I thought, and I thought about myself in the process. It's such a, I don't know. I just, it just made me enjoy the film so much because, wow. and of course, and then the film was also very skillful, very gripping. Right. Um, you know, and I loved the fact that the woman in it was the casting director. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, they just couldn't, like the actress dropped out and then they couldn't find a replacement and then she did it and she's brilliant. She's really good. She's extremely good. I was so lost in her character. Like I really thought she was a journalist by the end of the day. Like I was like, I didn't even think of her as an actress. I just thought of her as a journalist, just a pissed off journalist, you know? I was so immersed in her as well. She's extremely engaging to watch. She's Mm -hmm. very cinegenic. And I love what you said about the director's words in the intro that is so humane and anti-authoritarian to say something like that. And, you know, it's such a great, I don't know, it's just such a great like counterpoint to, as you mentioned, this sort of, I guess, reactionary culture of, you know, I watched this and I was triggered, so you shouldn't watch it. You should just pretend it doesn't exist. And that is is part of the problem, you know? That is part of the problem of, of why injustice continues to occur, why, why trauma persists, is because we refuse to confront it. And, you know, um, when he's saying that, I'm not hearing that he's condoning, you know, serial killers. What I'm hearing is that he can understand the root cause of these problems. And if only we, that was more pervasive in this culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's nice to, you know, it's, this sounds a bit like, sounds yeah. a little bit um, like, what do you call it, born again of me. But <laughs> I think it's nice to sometimes kind of remember that you're supposed to practice compassion. Yeah. For people, I mean, as long as they're not an immediate threat, you of know, course. which people once yeah. they have, once they've, you know, yeah. like died or be, been captured or whatever aren't anymore you know and then it's time mm-hmm. to kind of feel compassion and try and understand them as much as you can and I can totally understand why you wouldn't do that if you're a direct victim of that person. oh absolutely I this is not I, this is not a, um, a burden on the victims of someone who's done harm you know mm-hmm. um, you know taking as an example you know I've spoken before on this podcast about having been like workplace bullied mm-hmm. you know I remain extremely cautious of the person who did that to me I never want to see them again I never want to hear from them again or engage in any way I do not forgive or forget um and that is my prerogative as someone who survived their abuse and I shouldn't there's no burden I don't feel a pressure or burden to um you know have some kind of like demonstrate like compassion towards that person Mm. um and that should be the case, I think. You know, people who've survived abuse should maintain their boundaries extremely firmly, you know? Yeah. Um, but on the whole, I think that um, you are absolutely right. You know, there, uh, compassion should be practiced. And and th- these behaviors ought to be understood, you know, at their root cause. I also think it's very weird when people over-identify or try to kind of over-identify with, like, with a vic with a victim you yeah. know or like 
you know, it's a bit like when we talked about promising young woman, yes. and we were like, "Why is this girl doing this about something that happened to her friend?" Exactly. Like, what's going on there? Yeah. And I do think there is something interesting about the fact that we all want to be on the side of someone that's been through something terrible. Like, I mean, obviously, we want to be on their side, but that mm-hmm. we want to appropriate appropriate yeah Yeah. Uh, like what's happened to the person react as if it happened to us exactly it's very it's i think quite narcissistic very it's a little strange you know or like a bit it's a bit borderline it's a bit weird yes (laughs) it is a little bit borderline i mean you know again like completely differentiating from standing in solidarity with people Mm. and supporting them in their time of need making sure they don't feel alienated that's something different this business of like almost like cosplaying someone else's trauma and you know like this 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 is this is what's pathological and it doesn't actually bring us to a good place it's not a good destination to hold on on the journey and um yeah I totally agree I think we need to have those kind of nuanced understandings of where we are situating ourselves in that discourse you know Mm. this is something these are issues that other people have dealt with and they're working through it and processing it. We don't need to, you know, LARP as victims ourselves to show solidarity. We can simply, like, do so um, in a much more dignified way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Oh, my gosh. I'm gutted I missed that screening of Holy Spider with the intro because I went to the press screening. I'm gutted I didn't record it. I, I remember, like, a couple <laughs> of years ago, seeing, you know, into the the good LFF for me, uh, 2018, in, yes. um, recording Isabel Eckloff's um, introduction for um, Holiday, which I really liked. <gasps> yes. And I remember someone just saying saying to her, like, why did you make that rape scene like that? Basically, like, mm-hmm. criticizing her. And I can't remember exactly what her... Um, she said, she was like, she was like um, sometimes rape is just humiliating or embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, that's like why for the sort of, sort of sustained gaze in that scene, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just like a one take shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think she was just like, I just wanted to show what it is rather than this kind of like horror movie caricature of what it is. And, you know, I just I, like and I had that on tape or whatever she Amazing. said, you know, and I was but I, I'm OK next year. I'm just going to keep my phone on and, you know, <laughs> just hit the just hit the record button when people start speaking, because. I, yeah, I, I'm so gutted I missed that because I also worry that I'm paraphrasing and, you know, I like I'm not incredibly um, like I'm not great with like fact, facts and figures and numbers and like all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I feel I worry that I gave a little bit of a vague idea of what he said. But yeah, generally, that's kind of what it meant to me. That, Amazing. You know, so, yeah. So, yeah. And a great film as well. I would have enjoyed the film on its own. But yeah, um, I really fun. liked him. It made me want to yeah. watch his other film as well, Border which I haven't seen yet. I have not seen that either. And I've only heard good things. So yeah. maybe we should like arrange, a, you know, viewing together. I've got it on DVD. I would love that. That would, that be, great. would be really nice. Yeah. 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 So my other highlight of this festival, speaking of Iranian directors, I've got two actually to talk about side by side. I feel like they're very, they're very much tied in terms of quality in what I've seen in this festival is Jafar Panahi's No Bears Mm. and Mani Hariri's Subtraction. Oh my God. I loved both of these films. I didn't see either of these and I'm really gutted because you loved them so much. 
I truly, truly love them. I mean, Jafar Panahi for me, he's my favorite Iranian director. I consider him to be like a master. I've seen all of his films and I, he just get, keep, keeps getting better and better. He's unfortunately been badly harassed by the Iranian government for years. Um, he was put under house arrest. He was making films from his house on his iPhone, etc. And, you know, in this latest film, No Bears, he's actually shooting on location in a village on the border of, like near the border of Iran and Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that he's obviously like, you know, getting a bit more risky with maybe taking liberties outside of what he's allowed to do in terms of like filmmaking. But all of this to say that very sadly, the regime has really doubled down on their harassment of Jafar Panahi and he's no longer under house arrest anymore. He's been thrown in jail. Oh my God. It's very sad. And as I record with you now, the jail that he was put in, last night I was hearing reports on Twitter that the jail had caught fire. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think, an inside job uh, because that jail, it's called the Evin prison. That's where Nazanin Radcliffe Zagari was held. Right. And this is a jail where they keep a lot of like political prisoners, intellectuals, artists. And it's in Tehran, and it's like basically a place where they make examples out of people. It's very, there's a, you know, they torture people. It's horrific. People who are just held unjustly, you know, they haven't committed any real crimes. They're just, you know, what the regime regards as like troublemakers. And I'm very worried about Jafar Panahi and everybody else held in this place. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what the latest news is at this moment, but I really hope he and other everyone else is safe. Um, it breaks my heart because he is such a talent. He is such a poet and he really touches my heart. I wish nothing but the best for him. So No Bears, huge recommend. It's going to come out for sure. It's going to get a distribution. He's so beloved by the international film community. But I also hugely recommend Subtraction by... Um, Mani Hariri, great film, a very projections podcast film, Sarah. About Remind me what it's about. This is the one about a woman who suspects that her husband is seeing another woman. And this doesn't reveal anything, actually. Like, it's not like a spoiler or anything, but this movie has a lot to do with like doppelgangers. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. And you know what? It's on the digital library. So you have until the 28th of October. Okay. I'm actually, yeah, I actually have still a long list of things to see in the digital library. So Mm -hmm. I am going to watch it. Thank you. This should be at the top of your list on that library. It's the best thing on there at the moment. I'm hugely impressed. I've never seen a film by this director before. And now I'm like, wow, this guy is extremely talented. And I can't wait to discover more by Mani Hariri. Huge recommend. Well done to the Iranians this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, knocking it out of the park. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> um, what else? What What else do you recommend? Um, I recommend, and it will be on Netflix so everyone can watch it, uh, mm-hmm. The Wonder with Florence Pugh. Ooh. What is it about? It's about, um, it's very up my street. It's about like um, a... An, an English nurse who uh, accepts a job in Ireland um, and the job is around a girl who um, is whose family and her are claiming that she hasn't eaten for three months 
Okay. And she's sustaining she's, you know, sustained by manna from heaven and you know, and it's a sort of holy miracle, basically. Oh, and she's okay. there as part as she's there as sort of part of a um she's there with a nun and they're taking it in turns to watch this girl and to um ascertain whether or not she's eating somehow. Um or whether oh. she you know, whether she is in fact uh, you know some kind of saintly creature but the girl in it is so good she's such a good little actress she's amazing like she just blew me away i think you'll love her um florence Pugh obviously did really you know does everything beautifully and then i don't know i just found it very there's Mm. all these like sort of amazing little moments with this um like florence Pugh's character kind of has this sort of like it's not really addressed very much in the film but some kind of like drug addiction okay something and these like moments of her kind of taking this drug and sort of zoning out are like really cinematic and beautiful okay um i don't know i just liked it a lot it was very um it was one of those films that could have been um that could have gone nowhere like you know when we mm-hmm. saw um what was the film last year about the girl who who stopped eating um and kind of became this. It was like a horror movie. We we saw it in the Prince. Charles. Oh yeah, the feast. The feast. Or oh, was it? No. Was it the feast? No. It should have. It could have been called the feast, but it wasn't. It was called. I remember, we else. saw that together. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but you know, it could have been. Um, oh. It could have. It could have gone nowhere, but it doesn't go nowhere. It's brilliant, and um, yeah, I just really, I just thought it was just a very good film. It's by the guy who did fan- a fantastic woman. I think. Oh, really? I think that's what they said in the introduction. It was another public screening. Okay. Um, and I'm glad that I saw it on the big screen because I thought it was very beautiful. Um, and this is going to be released on Netflix? Yeah. It says Netflix is the is the Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I'll, I will definitely look out for that. Yeah, I really liked that a lot. Um, I had a good time with that film. So who's the director? Nice. Sebastian Lalo. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, yeah, just very up my street, you know, a little bit of kind of hysteria, a little bit of, um, you know, sort of magic, a little, yeah, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Uh, I really liked it, and she's just a great character. And she also ca- she was there for the- Florence was there for the um, introduction. Oh, nice. And she came out, you know, the director introduced um, the novelist and screenwriter because it was a novel before uh-huh. and the rest of the cast and the producers. And then he introduced Florence and she just kind of came out in this like salmon colored like dress with a huge long kind of train okay. and just and just her presence, you know, like I was like up in the rafters in the mm. Royal Festival Hall and I still you could still kind of see the way she kind of she just has she's just so magnetic she as, is, a, as a person being like miles away from her I could still see that so it was very exciting just her in the oh. room and everything kind of and yeah she's just she's got such star quality she really has she's extremely charismatic yeah it was very charismatic so yeah I really enjoyed that one nice okay that's a good recommend um next one up for me and i think it's on your list as well blue jean oh yeah oh what a surprise what a revelation i honestly wasn't expecting much you know i bitch about british film all day. <laughs> you know just like misery porn the you know the bad end of melodrama yeah um, and 
Oh my god, it was such a good film. Such a good film. I mean, it's sort of like I guess centered around like, um, or I guess the backdrop of the story is like Section Twenty Eight and the whole like. 80s Thatcher Britain and this young woman who is a lesbian but she's being pressurized by society to kind of like be closeted I guess Mm -hmm. yeah the main character is it Rosie McEwen I'm I'm an instant fan of hers now she is so magnificent on the screen she just looked so gorgeous she's like a double of Nicole Kidman Dario said that and he's Mm -hmm. absolutely right and she's beautiful. She she's also beautiful. reminds me, her look reminds me, have you seen Liquid Sky? I have not seen that. It's a bizarre film from the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, or like maybe 70s, I'm not sure. That I'm just, I'll send you stills and you'll understand what I mean. But it's <laughs> okay. got a, it's got like, um, yeah, it's got this woman who also plays like a male character uh-huh. in the film and she's like completely androgynous. And it's all about <gasps> this, like, it's very bizarre. It's about this model in New York and aliens a land on top of her building and make it so that if anyone has an orgasm when they're having sex with her they um sort of like evaporate (laughs) (laughs) amazing okay yeah it's a great film (laughs) but yeah her look was kind of you know that that film is much more kind of um punky Mm -hmm. but yeah her look was great she looked amazing she looked amazing I could just stare at like long takes of her lighting and smoking cigarettes Mm -hmm. for like Hours and hours. She was so glorious. She was beautifully shot. The The director, is it Georgia Oakley? Yeah. She's brilliant. My God, this is her first film. Yeah, it was a fantastic film. Truly dazzling debut by Georgia Oakley. I know that this film also picked up an award, like an audience award at Venice. So it's done extremely well on the festival circuit. Um, yeah, I mean, I will definitely want to see this again on the big screen. It's uh, There's so many things I probably missed because I was just like so distracted by her clothes. Yeah, she's um, beautiful. And the story was great as well. You know, I have, yes, it I, was. Like, I, it's, it was really beautifully well-developed film. Very, um, very psychological. And we didn't have that with some more experienced people. Um, I know. <laughs> with some more experienced directors this year. So well done yeah. to her. <laughs> well done to her. Like she really nailed the psychological crisis of basically leading a double life. Uh, the character, the main character was very socially anxious on the screen. It was very handled very sensitively and very convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love this film, like truly. Um, I, and also I have to say, I went to the public screening of that and it was absolutely glorious because the director is essentially invited something like, I don't know, like maybe 15 or 20 people on the stage oh. with uproarious applause from the audience. It was like a festival atmosphere. I mean, it was a festival, but you know what I mean? It was like a party atmosphere in the room. Um, everybody was on their feet. The sta- there was a standing ovation at at the credits for the duration of the credits it was just like lots of positive energy in the room it was so much fun and great Q&A as well so I'm glad I went to that it can be really nice to go to the public screenings like it's nice it's nice that we can do that because yeah yeah then you kind of because I think the press are kind of jaded yeah (laughs) I I certainly am Um, but yeah, these public screenings, it, sometimes it can feel quite, I like the chaotic energy of them and you yeah. can kind of like surrender to the whole process of loving something if that's where you're at. And it's great. 
uh, what's next? Well, I've got a, I've got two more huge recommends. I, I'm just going and going. Just so keep what, going because I, I think there's lots of things that I enjoyed. Yeah, but they're not my. Yeah, like I wouldn't say that okay. I'm ambivalent about them. Like I think they're good. Yeah. Um, but you do yours first, and then okay. because I don't think there's anything else. I mean, there's lots of things that I just thought were great. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I have to say, uh, the kingdom. Of course, you went to that. I didn't. I mean. Like, I actually went to quite a bit of TV, and I know that's a little bit frowned upon in the festival. But uh, I went to quite a few kind of, I went to quite a few of the TV shows, and I don't uh-huh. know, I just, I just had a great time. Oh, good. It was just, it was such an amazing, because I've told you that I had some problems watching the return of Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, And I couldn't really get past the first episode. And I was worried that this was going to be as sort of opaque as that. But it wasn't. It was just, I think he's on top form, really. And it just made me think, why doesn't Lars von Trier do more TV? Wow. Why? I don't know. I just thought it was great and so funny. And um, Uh I just, I don't know why HBO haven't tapped into that. (gasps) You know, I mean, him as, not just him as a director, but him as a writer. Yes. I don't know if we talk about him as a writer so much. Enough, yeah. But he is. And he's so he's so funny and so witty and like I don't know, I know I'm saying funny a lot, but he is. He's hilarious yeah, and really he's a clever. Funny guy. And I don't know why we haven't, you know, got him to like I, he should be directing succession. He should be directing, you know, he mm-hmm. should be like given all he should just be given like all of this like big TV money to do stuff and then he can put it back into his films i don't know why he hasn't oh yes i would so support that yeah 100 anything he touches basically i would watch irrespective of the format but i totally agree with you that it's a huge missed opportunity not to give get him involved in this tv renaissance golden age or whatever you want to call it you know exactly i see so many names actually speaking of isabel eckloff i just watched an episode of uh, industry and noticed oh, it was directed yeah. by her That's and right. you know i think you know all these kind of direct like directors that you you think oh they're not around anymore they're not yeah. making anything like people from like joyce chopra um people like uh jamie babbitt you know all of these directors uh-huh. you know made films in the 90s made films in the early 2000s they're all working in tv and like why isn't Lars von Trier like why oh. maybe they've gotten to him and he said no but because I know he doesn't like to travel that's the um, thing that's the thing he yeah it might just be like inaccessible I don't know what the problem is but he as far as I'm aware he's really only done the kingdom as tv am I right I'm pretty that? sure I mean I yeah. didn't fact check when I'm having said that but you know if like I, if I was a producer, you know, if I was a showrunner, I would be like, where, where can we write an episode in in Denmark? Exactly. Like, and we will Lars come to you. Does. We will exactly. come to Zentropa and basically just follow you wherever you are. Um, yeah, he is. I think they're sleeping on on his talent. I agree. Okay, yeah. I he mean, is, I know he's not well at the moment. So I know. I know. I hate maybe to it think really of it. is a missed opportunity in that sense. It's so sad. Um, but yeah, TV was good, and I, you know, and I'm also not someone that has a huge amount of patience for TV um, mm-hmm. because I think that, you know it demands a lot of your time. Um, yeah. But I loved that, and I also loved high school. Um, oh yeah, directed by I did go to high school. Um, <laughs> uh, directed by Claire Duval um, uh-huh. because her film um, "Holiday Season" or "The Happiest Season"—that's what it was called—wasn't very yeah. well received because uh-huh. people felt that it um, 
kind of that it perpetuated certain tropes about lesbian relationships that they thought were negative um I quite enjoyed it I, I it liked it too I loved it I um, watched it last year at Christmas yeah same I I thought it was quite good and I thought um <laughs> Mackenzie Davis plays like a really great terrible person you yeah know? um but this is it's just it was just so enjoyable Ooh. you know I I didn't really know I don't really know much about Tegan and Sarah and uh, I have to admit that I did get them confused with Daphne and Celeste. Um, <laughs> initially, I was like, wow, I didn't know these people. I didn't know these girls had such soul. And then I realized that I was thinking of two completely different girls. Um, oh my God, that's so yeah. funny. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was just brilliant and very kind of nostalgic, but not in a kind of like Stranger Things kind oh. of way, just in this. Yeah, it's just it's just great. Like I would watch the whole thing. Do you these... know where that's going to get shown? Like where is gonna, that going to be streamed? And that's the other thing. Like I think TV is becoming less accessible than cinema these days. I know because of the fact that you know something things are on they're on Disney Plus or they're on HBO Max mm. or they're on Now TV or um, some something you have to subscribe to on Amazon. Yeah. My friend Millie yesterday was saying she still hasn't seen the Army Hammer documentary because she just can't figure out where to watch it. I gave her some tips. <laughs> but you know so that's happening a lot so I'm trying to look through at the moment the okay. but I can't but I remember thinking that it was going to be on somewhere weird and I might not be able to watch the rest of it so mm. I think that's a problem if people you know people sure. are making content for these I saw something like some some studio had started a streaming service I can't remember what it was but it was like Liongate Lion Gate oh. Plus or something like that something oh. really I think it was Liongate Oh my god! And I just thought that was really, that was really weird. This is getting ridiculous now. Like I know that Paramount Plus also has a streaming service. It's like, guys, can we just like have a little bit of consolidation here? Like we need to, you know, it's getting confusing. Exactly. Um, it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about showing the work to people. I'm just looking at the program, and it actually says Amazon Freebie, whatever that is. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. So maybe that means that it's going to be free to watch on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. It's going to just basically be on the Amazon app. Uh, maybe there will be some ads or something, but... Maybe. Well, that would be nice because I think I think that would be nice for a lot That'll of people. That will be accessible, watch. yeah. No, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I have appreciated her work before. So it's good to get a recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> now for me, I have still two more that I'm like breathlessly recommending to all of you. And I think one you have seen already, which is Sick of Myself. Oh, I loved it. Me too. It was fantastic. Um, I really, really appreciated that. And actually, I have a little bit of a plug for Katie Driscoll. She wrote a great review of it for The Independent. Oh, amazing. So definitely read that because she spent some time in Scandinavia, I believe. And she's like making comparisons between sick of myself and the worst person in the world. And I think her argument is really good and legitimate. So definitely read that. Did she um, prefer yeah. sick of myself? To I think so. Hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I did too. I think that there's nothing wrong with the worst person in the world, but yeah. I think it was mismarketed. Yes, I agree. And I think I expected it to be more like sick of myself yeah exactly yeah I think sick of myself achieves what maybe worst person in the world attempted to do yeah well or what worst person in the world it's chickened out of yes exactly yeah yeah I thought this movie was completely absurd 
it's hard to talk about it without giving away like the, I don't want to spoil it because you kind of have to almost go in knowing nothing yeah, I think is better. Do. But I, all I will say is that this person's personality disorder is <laughs> quite something to behold. It's, it's kind of like spectacular. And I pray to God that I never meet someone like her. <laughs> yes. She's just, she did it so brilliantly. It was she really did. She really did. I thought it was very funny. Um, so yeah, huge recommend on that front. But I also am strongly recommending, this is the last of, of the ones that I really loved, Lynch Oz. Oh, yes. I didn't see it. Oh, but wow. It, it is so good. I mean, every Lynch nerd out there is going to love Lynch Oz. Because the thing is, I mean, when I found out there was a documentary tracing the Wizard of Oz in the movies of David Lynch, I was like, oh, is is that just wild at heart? I don't really, I can't think of anything else. But no, I was wrong. <laughs> Amazing. I actually didn't know that's what it was about. Um, mm. I think, I don't, maybe I like skipped it in the program or something. And mm -hmm. I didn't ask because I was like, I don't know who Oz is. Like, mm -hmm. I thought it was like a collaborator. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like Lynch Down Under or something <laughs> I don't really understand what this film is but if I'd known that maybe I would have made more effort to see it I mean I will make an effort to see it yeah. when it comes out or for, I'll find it somewhere you'll um, love it you're, you're that, that's absolutely. so up my street like that kind of thing so that's amazing yeah. for me I just I'm highly suspicious if anyone who wants to like approach his work or like critically assess it because I just ha I feel so intimately like connected to his films that you know it's got to be a really good documentary if it's going to tackle a subject like that yeah but this absolutely nailed it it's basically a series of video essays by various directors who actually perceive the connection between Wizard of Oz and David Lynch and one of our absolute faves is is among them Karen Kusama <gasps> Oh, amazing. That's yeah. so great. And I have to say hers was my favorite. Um, okay. But there are some great, great interpretations out there. Again, I was extremely surprised by where else the people are seeing The Wizard of Oz. Clearly, D David Lynch is obsessed. And, you know, we like that. We like to see that kind of obsession in our directors. So huge recommend. Definitely see this movie. Oh, that sounds so good. Well, you sold it to me. I'm going to go and mm -hmm. see it at my earliest opportunity. Great. Okay. now do you have anything else that you're like dying to recommend I don't think so I mean like I enjoyed lots mm -hmm. but um I didn't I yeah I think the ones that we've talked about are the ones that are my absolute okay. favorites yeah okay so there are some movies that I'm you know still a little bit on the fence about I'm not fully loving but you know, I still think they kind of deserve some some positive attention. Honorable mention for sure. One of them is Unrest, the movie about Peter Kropotkin in his time in Switzerland about with mm -hmm. the watchmakers. Uh, the Anarchist movie. Yeah. Uh, so that for sure. is It is on the digital library. Another is uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, the Laura Poitras documentary about the Sackler family. Mm -hmm. um, I saw that with Dario. Um, it is a good movie. Like objectively, it's a very well-made documentary. Um, it sort of like follows Nan Golden and, you know, the photographer and, and her addiction to OxyContin. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Like it is worth watching. I just personally didn't think it was as good as her previous films, Risk and Citizen Four. Mm -hmm. I think she's done a better job in the past. And maybe I'm just a little bit sore about the fact that this movie, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, won the Golden Lion at Venice. And I think it should have been The Whale. (laughs) So, you know, I'm just judging it maybe unfairly, but it's not going in my best of highlights pile. It's just like, I'm I'm just like so-so about it. And the other two that I would gently recommend, nothing that special, but still okay. Uh, I Love My Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the guy, the man who catfished his son. <laughs> yeah, that sounded, that sounded kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, the concept is hilarious. It's extremely Freudian and, you know, family romance, that whole thing. It's extremely awkward to watch. And it is very funny. The main guy in it... Um, who gets catfished, the young guy. He is also the director, which is interesting. Oh. And it is actually based on a real story that happened. I found I thought that that actor, uh, actor slash director was also a dead ringer for a young Joaquin Phoenix, I have to say. Oh, okay, interesting. Very cute and had the same expressions and everything. So yeah, like maybe three out of five, you know, um, it's all right. And finally, in that kind of so-so pile is the Banshees of Inish Sharon. <laughs> What's that I, one? Sorry, which one is that? So that's the one that's that's the one that's shot in Ireland um, in the 1920s, and it's by the guy. Is it Michael Mc? No, Martin McDonough, the guy who made In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside, blah, 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 something. Oh, yes. So this film stars Colin Farrell. Now, I didn't love this movie, I have to say. I went to see it with a friend of the pod, Andrew, at the Royal Festival Hall. It was the only movie I saw in that venue this year. And frankly, I'm sorry to say, but the acoustics in there are so bad. If they insist on having movies in that room, please, can you just subtitle everything? Because I couldn't really hear what they were saying. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it just passed me by. So I wasn't totally following what was going on. I found that a little bit boring. But Colin Farrell is so fucking hot. (laughs) like it just didn't matter like every he's he's he plays like the village idiot in this movie and I'm sorry but like you cannot have a village idiot that sexy it just doesn't work okay okay (laughs) yeah suspension of disbelief is difficult there anyway that is it that is literally all I'm recommending now let's get on to some of the other titles from from you like are there are there some that you're still on the fence about or are you ready to move on to the hate list now i have a couple that i think are interesting go ahead um i'd love to see what you think of bones and all Ooh, yes tell me more um i mean i actually i love luca i think he makes great films and Mm -hmm. it was nice because i think i previously watched um films i wasn't so sure about or films that i thought like i saw the joanna hogg film and i thought it was you know kind of a bit self-indulgent and a bit I don't know it had good it had good elements um and I'd seen the film Coma um, oh yeah about sort of like dedicated to like this the director's daughter in lockdown you know uh-huh. that kind of thing and that actually again I enjoyed elements of it but mm-hmm. I was sort of starting to be like if people want to make films for their family members could they please not show them to us 
Joanna Hogg, you know, being like sort of about her mother and um and like this film about being about the guy's daughter i was like i don't want to see i'm not, i don't want to be dragged into this like yeah we don't need to see that i don't need to see that so it was really nice to kind of sit down to a film that i was like yes this is by a professional you know like by someone uh-huh. who's making a movie it's a paraphrase um harry styles um but uh, i thought there was something weird with the tone and with the what i just didn't really understand the choices in this film okay because it's obviously like a romantic drama about two young cannibals yeah but there's this villain played by mark rylance who is usually fantastic Mm. and he was doing this villain like old greg from the mighty boosh do you remember that sequence from the mighty boosh like And it was very strange. And I also didn't really understand. I mean, obviously, I don't want to give too much away. Mm-hmm. But I found it difficult to sort of see what the film was saying because of the <laughs> off-puttingness of a group of characters. Oh. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Um, Chloe Sevigny is in it for a very horrifying five minutes. Okay. And she is totally terrifying. And really? yeah, that was really horrifying scene. I thought that was really well done. And there's an there's a op- not like quite an opening sequence, but a sequence quite near the beginning at a girl's slumber party that mm. I thought was like chef's kiss. <gasps> I loved it. Okay. Um, and also the star, the young star of that. I don't actually know her name, but she was really like magnetic and beautiful. There was a we uh, there was a lot of lovely young stars, the young starlets in this festival so I thought she was great also I don't really I don't know if I'm too old but I just can't find Timothy Chalamet attractive no he's not so I don't I find it hard to watch a film in which um like a (laughs) lot like a love affair with him is like the central object you know Mm -hmm. um so I was like, ew, <laughs> about him the whole time. Nothing like, no shade on him. You know, he's just no, like, no. I can't find a baby attractive. I mean, listen, I have to admit, I have found some twinks attractive before. <laughs> <laughs> but just not him. I just don't find he has any sex appeal. No, I don't think so either. And she really did. She was beautiful and really mm. interesting. So I, I really liked elements of it, but I just okay. found that like the whimsicality of mm. the horror was weird to me. It was like horror by way of Wes Anderson. Oh it was, no. It was strange. There was something strange about it that I thought didn't work personally. He should have got Army Hammer to do it. If they had cast Army Hammer as that villain character, that would have <laughs> genuinely been scary. And I think he would have done it differently. And I I you know, I think Mark Rylance is a god. He's oh yeah, so yeah. good. He's a brilliant actor. But the like the way that they like dressed him and the sort of the way I just thought it was weird. I thought it was a weird yeah. thing, and he's very like off putting and disgusting. Mm-hmm. But he's also, mm, I don't know, it was a bit weird. So yeah, I wasn't totally sure. What the, I couldn't really do a very clear reading of the film, and I thought it was like a bit convoluted. But I didn't. I'd enjoy hearing your. I didn't. I'd enjoy hearing your opinion. Oh, well, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm gutted I'd missed it in the festival. I couldn't make it to that press screening, but um, I will definitely watch it because it's coming out like next month, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, so I will, you'll be able to see it. Soon. I will go and watch it and then I, I will report back. Um, and then another one that I 
was I wasn't enjoying loads, but I'm glad I stuck around till the end, unlike mm-hmm. some people. Corsage. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, about Empress Cece. Um, uh-huh. It's very interesting. I, I actually don't, I need to kind of fact check it. I don't know if it's more fan fiction okay. about Empress Cece. Um, it was a little hard to watch because she's such a fucking nightmare in it. Yes. They play her as such a sort of someone who, there's sort of an interesting kind of aspect to her, like someone who just is like, is, there's sort of a bit where um, she says, like, she sort of kind of like starts out sort of seducing someone and then she, and then the he, the guy who's kind of being seduced realizes that she just wants to be looked at and admired rather than actually fucked and I think that's kind of an interesting (laughs) like way of looking at her Mm -hmm. and like about like what would happen to a woman who had been famously really beautiful and nothing else you know or not allowed to be anything else Mm -hmm. like what happens to her when she gets older and starts losing her looks um but like I thought there were sort of there were moments where it was injected with modern music and I think, like once, I think so that when Sofia Coppola did that in Marie Antoinette, that was great. But I don't see why anyone else has to do that. It, um, yeah, it just felt like a reference to Marie Antoinette, and it didn't feel very intelligent. Okay. Um. And but then, sort of the way the film went at the end. Yeah. What happened? Which is a kind of a twist, and I don't want to spoil it. Uh huh. But I found it very interesting where the film went and what happened oh. in the end, and it reminded me of a a frequent conspiracy theory or a conspiracy theory that pops up a lot with famous people ah um that i thought was fascinating um so okay i'm now i'm seriously intrigued yeah there was sort of an interesting thing going on at the end do you think this one is going to get a release it says that it's got picture house entertainment distribution so yeah oh that's a good sign okay so probably soon then it'll come out probably soon um a couple of others i saw godland yes um which is not the kind of film i would usually go in for very long very slow mm-hmm. um but i really enjoyed it i don't think okay. it's for everyone because again it's very long and very slow but mm-hmm. i thought it was really really beautiful and interesting and okay. i was like i was very kind of transfixed yeah um and then also I can't remember what it's called, but the film about the prehistoric horror film, The Origin. Bit disappointed. Yeah. Um, it was a bit cheesy. Oh God. But I did think I did think it was a nice cinematic cinematic experience. Like the sound design and the okay. like the darkness and the way it kind of the way it looked and sounded was good. Okay. But yeah, a bit cheesy, basically. A bit um oh. A bit with we're all supposed to learn a lesson from this oh, no. sort of horror film, <laughs> but I, no. I, I don't want that. <laughs> no way! I don't. <laughs> I don't need my horror to teach me any lessons. Exactly. No. Um. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I saw other things, but I there's just too many to name. Basically. Um. But yeah, I think. Um. Yeah. Okay. I have I have to let out some some steam because there's some that I really didn't like. Okay, do it. Um, now, okay, let's start with the mild ones that I'm not like, I'm not like foaming at the mouth or anything. I'm just saying that I didn't enjoy these movies. That unfortunately starts with Decision to Leave. Yeah. It's just underwhelming. 
and disappointing because I've seen his other films and it just doesn't like cut it for me. Like, cause I know what he's capable of and I feel like he dropped the ball. I agree. Um, I think he is capable of perfect, intricate storytelling. Exactly. And this felt um, like it wasn't, it had, it wasn't figured out enough. I kept thinking, I kept sort of being left with like, what's happening? What? Yeah. And for, like, I felt, I felt like I was. Fra- I felt like he owes me a Botox session. <laughs> um, I, I cannot be afford. I cannot afford to go to films like that at my age because <laughs> I'm starting to get really worried about this line next to my eyebrow. And um, yeah, and I just, I also, I think I wouldn't have been, you know. And I know, I know it's a business. I know that the people that promote the film festival have a job to do yeah and I would say you know and I don't think that it should not have been included in the film festival because I would have been livid no, of course of course but I was I was misled by the this phrase finds director park working at the dizzying dizzying peak of his powers oh my god in the program like don't say that if it's not no. true because I expected it to be true and I know that that's silly, you know, that they have to be no, it's not. I I think that's a gross overstatement as well. Um, it is, I think on this occasion, I'm afraid to say this director phoned it in. He did. He did phone it in. And it was like, you know, it's very beautiful. It was interesting. I thought, you know what? There were a lot of films in this. There were a few <laughs> films that were like who sort of procedurals yeah. that were lacking. And I think it's hard to do a procedural. It is it's hard. Not, you know, people think, people look down on murder mysteries and on procedurals <laughs> and crime writing. Mm. And it's hard to do mm-hmm. it. It's not just something that you do because you, you know, you think it's safe to do a genre film. It's mm. really, it's only a few like really transcend the genre. And so, and I think this year really proved it because I saw a couple of things of procedurals that weren't great. And mm. I think this was one of them. And it really reminded me of another film called Love Me If You Dare. You, have you ever seen that film? No. It's a film with Marion, Co- what is her name, who played EDPF? Oh, yes. Uh, Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. That's it. Um, it's an early film of hers. Okay. And I can't remember who the guy is in it. But she basically, this it's a story of this these two, this boy and this girl that have known each other since they were children mm-hmm. and they play jokes on each other or like they play dangerous pranks on each other, I think. I can't remember because I haven't seen it for about 10 years. Okay. Um, but they're in love, but they like refuse to give up their da- their game, basically. Like the game is like this sort of fetish for them both and they're unable to, they're unable to kind of give it up. Okay. And it's very like it's kind of this sort of like a bit of a cult film because it's got this very kind of unhinged energy, okay. and it kind of remind this film kind of reminded me of it, like that these kind of two characters have this sort of unhinged nonsensical energy yeah. in a film that I don't, usually part like his characters are very reserved. Yes, yeah, you, know, you you have this idea there's a lot underneath the surface. But they're very, but these two were a bit wild. Like, what was going on with these two, you know? Like, it didn't really make much yeah. sense, like, as to why they were acting this way. Or, yeah, they were just chaotic they for were chaotic. no reason. They weren't very well-developed characters, I don't think. 
No. So, and it's like a chaotic character doesn't really work, I don't think, in his films. Like, unless there's someone nah. really, they're like a villain, you know, because his villains are often really unhinged. But his main characters, yeah. they're not like that, you know? No, he's sort of, it's a bit of a departure for him in a terrain that unfortunately he hasn't really mastered. So it just comes across as a bit pedestrian. It was pedestrian. Yeah. You no. Know? So I, I was a bit let down. I mean, again, I'm not saying this with full of rage and hate. Like, that's reserved for some other titles I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just underwhelmed, disappointed. So that's that's how I feel about it. I do agree with, with what you said. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to also mention two movies uh, from the cult section of the program, mm. um, which I was I felt let down by also. Um, the anger is starting to rise. <laughs> um, attachment and the nightmare. Yeah. Oh, you did see the nightmare. I did end up going to see it after all. Two people warned me against it, Mike Munster and our, our friend Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both said it sucked. And I'm like, no, I am going to this movie because I have a phobia of, of pregnancy and childbirth. And this is what this movie is about. You guys just don't understand, okay? <laughs> and you know what, Sarah? They were right. They yeah. were, I should have fucking just stayed home because I don't even know... <laughs> hell this movie was supposed to be about i don't know who they're trying to rip off what they were trying to do it's just so bad and it's like embarrassing um it was not scary and i was bored yeah the other one was attachment which i thought i was gonna really enjoy yeah i had um, that on my list i it clashed with a different film but yeah yeah no sarah you didn't miss anything okay it's very silly i thought it was gonna be a great film about munchausen by roxy and it ended up being very kind of silly and not effective this is not a horror film i don't know what it is it's something else and very cheesy. I did not relate to any of the characters. Nothing anyone was doing on screen was seemed plausible to me. You know what? I stayed for the Q&A because I thought the director was going to talk about Munchausen by proxy. This was not named in the film as what was happening. But I thought for sure the director was going to talk about that. And he didn't. So uh, it was just a letdown. Okay. So... You had your time wasted by horror and I had my time wasted by whodunits this year. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I went to see a film called Next Next Sohi. Oh, what's that? Um, it's the film about the girl who, uh, so the first half is about a girl who works in a call center. It's a Korean film, I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure. And then the second film is about investigating her death. Okay. The second half of the film. Yeah. Um, South Korea. Yeah, I'm right. Um, so yeah, the uh, so I kind of thought that was interesting, and the picture had this kind of sort of cool center corporate aesthetic, which I liked. It reminded me a bit of Sleeping Beauty, you know, that Julia Lee's. Yeah. Um, and it was just again, it was like a bad melodrama. Basically, it's about this sort um, of girl who, like, it's about. It's just like a very sort of clunky film about, um, a, about like unethical employment practices basically oh okay so it's very much like all of the kind of subtext of the film was spoken by this like detective character okay who was like and it was just i don't know it was just very obvious and it i just thought it was a waste of time basically and then there was another one that i started watching and didn't finish called the woman in the white car 
Oh yeah, I heard about that one. What and did you think? Again, it was just a mess. Like oh, no. it was just this sort of this character who right at the beginning is established as schizophrenic. Okay. And so she has this kind of she arrives at the hospital with this girl who she says that she is her sister and the girl's been stabbed in the stomach. Okay. And she tells the story of what happened and then it, it becomes very apparent very quickly that the story she's telling can't possibly have happened. And so like this sort of humorous detective and like her younger counterpart are like investigating. But I think it really, I think I've got a lot of respect for the rules of genre. <laughs> like, yes. And you can't just have someone who is like an unreliable <laughs> narrator because they're, they're crazy. Like mm-hmm. it breaks the rules, you know, like it's not, mm-hmm. it, it, it I, I just hate that. I think it's so lazy. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, I think sometimes some character, some films about mental illness are brilliant. I'm mm-hmm. not saying don't have a schizophrenic character, oh, no. but don't like, don't have a schizophrenic character because you've got holes in your plot and you want to cover them up by being like, oh, she's just schizophrenic. Oh, wow. Point well made. So, I mean, again, like you don't have to avoid see if you want to, because I was intrigued by both these films, but I just didn't think they were well done. And I, you know, I'm a big crime genre fan. And yeah, I think, I just think it's like other people look down on that, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've, you know, my boyfriend's been disapproving of me for reading murder mysteries all the time and not like, you know, (laughs) sending my brain, but it's not easy to do a good one. It's really not. Absolutely. Well, it's a real art form, isn't it? It's a real art form. to To balance all those different factors that make a convincing, gripping story. And you're so right. Like it is the height of, you know, laziness to make someone, one of your characters with with a mental illness, take the blame for your lack of story building, yeah. world building. So I, I totally agree. That's, that's a shame. Mm. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I know what to avoid. I'm basically going to finish off with two two films that I've seen in this festival that are so bad, so bad. One I walked out of because I think it's just literal garbage. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe this was greenlit. It's aesthetically offensive. It, you know, it made me do the unthinkable, which is leave with that, you know, before the end. And that is Blue Bag Life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I don't have a problem with watching movies about addiction. That's not an issue for me. I don't even have a problem with the depiction of it in this film. For me, it's the, it's the sheer ugliness of how she made the film that is so repulsive to watch. It's like off-putting. Mm. And it angered me that I have to sit there and watch her film herself on the camera from her phone, not even in frame. And I have to sit through a long take of her being on hold, waiting to hear about her mother's death certificate. Mm. Like, I don't give a fuck. Please just get this off my screen. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I've suffered, now you have to. Yeah, exactly. It feels like a punishment. Like, what the fuck did I do? I didn't sell your mother heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are you putting me through this? Like has zero patience and zero sympathy. And I don't even care if that makes me sound like a bad person. No, it doesn't. It is that ugly to watch. Like, you know, fine. It's a harrowing story and I'm on board with that. Like I'm picking up what you're putting down, but don't come at me with this 
like pathetic half-assed footage that I have to sit through. Do not do that to me. I will turn on you. <laughs> it's so bizarre when people think that they have a story that should be a film, but they don't respect or like the medium of film. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Like just then just tell your story some other way. If you don't like cinema, like, like you know what? Don't do right. Write a diary entry mm. or go on the radio and talk about it. You clearly detest film. You are an enemy of good taste. <laughs> so to whoever greenlit Blue Bag Life, do not assault my eyes with this garbage anymore. And if you do, I will put a curse on you. Whoa, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I would never go and see that anyway, because I would sure. get past the door. Because um, <laughs> I do not go and see, I very rarely go and see addiction films and I never go and see heroin films. So. I wouldn't yeah. have seen it anyway, but I'm glad I didn't miss anything. Yeah, you're always going to be safe from this anyway. Good. But thank God, like that you 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 were spared this this hideous atrocity because it. And again, it's not about for me. It was not even the subject matter. It was just the sheer dismissiveness of the director mm. and her self indulgent, totally self righteous, delusional belief that we're just going to stay on board because of her sob story and she didn't even make any effort. So it's grotesquely ugly. So it's huge avoid red flags all over the place. But one I will say that I also found terrible movie, probably, probably one of the worst alongside <laughs> Blue Bag Life in this festival. But I wouldn't say necessarily avoid. I would say tune in for some great laughs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tune in to just laugh your head off at the sheer naivete and gullibility and, frankly, stupidity of this filmmaker, and that is brainwashed sex camera power. Of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, I like I entertained a small hope for this film because I was like, mm-hmm. it can't be as simple as it sounds. Like, <laughs> but it, But it is, huh? It is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I also went in with that hope. I thought, listen, they're not obviously they're not going to go down the obvious route. They're going to it's going to be a bit more sophisticated and nuanced. No, 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 absolutely not. This feels like watching a YouTube, like an extended YouTube video of a first year gender studies student who's just read Laura Malvi for the first time. It's so embarrassing and it's right. so wrong headed unintentionally hilarious so do watch it if you're in you want to see a comedy thank god i didn't go to the breast screening because i think i would have gotten thrown out Mm. i've heard a lot of chatter on twitter this year about film critics at these press screenings being very offended very very offended sarah that people are laughing at inappropriate times and that we should show more respect and not laugh at a serious subject matter. I mean, if a, if a film is making you laugh at an inappropriate time, it's the film's fault. Exactly. Exactly. If I had gone to this press screening, I would have been boycotted from the festival for life. Because I was laughing the entire time. This film is a joke. It is so stupid. But do watch it as like a cautionary tale of what brain rot awaits you if you steer too far from psychoanalysis. <laughs> I think this type of filmmaking is a trend because I noticed it with um, Disclosure, 
Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Which, which film do you mean? I mean the film um, where they um, look at sort of the history of cinema, look at transness in the history of cinema. Oh, no, I have not seen that. Sorry. Why do I think it's called Disclosure? Because <laughs> I can't understand why that would be the title. Okay. So what am I talking about? <laughs> Hang on, let me just... Why do I... I don't know why I'm thinking now of... Because isn't Disclosure like a 90s erotic thriller? Yeah. No, it is called that. It is? Hang on. Why- why is it called Disclosure? Yes, it's called Disclosure. Why is it called Disclosure? That's I so swear, weird. I've never heard of this film. Okay, tell me. Fill me in. So What's it this was film on, about? It came around when, like, during the lockdown. It's released in 2020. Examining Hollywood's depiction of transgender people and the impact it's left on both the transgender community and American culture. And it's got some, like, some people in it, like Laverne Cox, some, like, okay. very um, high-profile people. Okay. And I didn't, you know, I didn't hate it. Okay. I don't enjoy this trend of taking the history of cinema away from its context uh-huh. and examining it through one very specific, very highly agendered lens. <laughs> agendered, not gendered. Yes. Um, because I just, I think it's not, it's not fair. No, it's, it's not, not fair. Uh, you know, and I can understand, I think that that is what you do in gender studies. You know, you can, you can, you, of course you can do that in the gender studies classroom. Because that's your job. Mm-hmm. But I think that you can't, I don't know, you, I don't think to do it on a documentary is really is really quite right. Um, because, you know, you're taking things away from their social, like social historical context. Uh-huh. You're sort of, you're ascribing an intent to like a filmmaker that could not possibly have been there because our understanding of transness now is so incredibly different to how it was back in the day of, of these films being made. Mm-hmm. And then you're taking like, you know, you're taking those films and you're basically taking these films from a long time ago and you're looking at them through the lens of today mm-hmm. and through the, you know, the, with today's kind of ethics and today's thought, like, you know, popular thought. Right, and I just don't think it's really. I can understand. It's interesting, and it's interesting to kind of consider how you know things might have impacted um, trans people, you know, in terms of how they're viewed. Mm -hmm. But I also think you've got to look at a film as a whole, and you can't just sort of take these moments from the. You can't just take these like moments fragmented in cinema and criticize them in that way you know yeah yeah you can be so reductive it's very reductive and I didn't you know I didn't hate it but I was like I think this is a shame for people who like cinema to be talking about cinema this way because you know I think there's something to be said for you know this you know because I hear a lot you know I, I listen to a lot of um you know queer theory about cinema and I think like the really interesting nice thing to say is like this this film has its kind of pro- problematic elements but like we love it or you know I but I loved it growing up and I still love it for these reasons and you know rather than to kind of say it's not okay to like this film yeah anymore like I recently at the Rio I didn't go but I saw it on Instagram there was a screening of Showgirls um like by um 
I can't remember who was screening it, but it looked like kind of like a drag queen collective, basically okay. putting on the screening of Showgirls. And they um, they did this thing, which I thought was actually quite a good idea. I don't know if I would necessarily do it in a screening, but because it was sort of like, like you know, draggy, queer community, uproarious screening of Showgirls, they pulled the curtain on the rape scene and then they and then they opened it again when it was over and they came on stage and they were like we love this film but we mm-hmm. just don't really want this to like ha- change like spoil our good time basically okay. and i thought that that was and they you know and they said some kind of like interest you know and it was and they they did it in this like very lighthearted way and they weren't like they were like you know this is a they said this is a great film but we don't want to watch this right now like and it was and I thought that was actually a really good way of doing um, something like I wouldn't necessarily yeah do that I like that I can respect Showgirls, that but if you're trying to have a joyful screening of Showgirls then no. I thought that was quite an that was quite a sort of light-hearted way to go about it so basically I don't know so no no I, I, think, I, I and it I, wasn't I, like sort of disavowing the whole film exactly. it was just like let's not let this kind of spoil it I suppose. Yeah, and I, and I mean, listen, I can totally understand that approach, and I can respect it and understand the reasoning behind it. It's just when these documentaries like Brainwashed, Sex, Camera, Power, it's really not taking that approach. It is extremely dogmatic, and mm. it is intolerant of any other perspective. It has at, at its core the conviction that like 90% of films out there are sexist and misogynistic and objectifying women and exploiting them. And frankly, I find it a very naked and glaring attempt of this filmmaker to try and basically just sell her own films Yeah, off the back of this argument. Cause she kept like inserting, she kept like catastrophizing and trying to like call this like urgent situation and say like oh you know we're we're in desperate times and look at all these examples of people getting it wrong where women are getting exploited but here's like an antidote to that and then she just inserts clips from her own movies like come on what are you doing here that's terrible what are her movies i have no fucking idea (laughs) heard of this person uh she's never been on my radar and frankly the stuff that she was inserting looks really bad they look like terrible student films and there's really no excuse like it's just such a it's such a naked desperate attempt at self-promotion off the back of like catastrophizing and being a fake like alarmist I cannot abide that I think that's fucking unforgivable what she's doing but it's also very funny. Again, watch it for the pure reason of laughing out loud the entire time. Because I cannot believe she does this, but she truly and like very seriously claims that the desiring gaze is only male and women are not capable of looking longingly and in a sexualized way. That as soon as you have this on screen, it is either a man exploiting women or it's a woman who's internalized misogyny so it's like a laura mulvey idea yeah basically and (laughs) it's just so stupid and you know i'm living proof that that's not true and you know so are you so i just 
And frankly, it does women a huge disservice. She's someone who's clearly never encountered psychoanalysis and it's like frightening what can happen to you when you don't. So that's where the festival ends. Clearly loved way more than I hated. Yeah. Had, had a great time. You know, there's obviously some things I missed that were like, I was desperate to see, but I think a lot of those things are going to get a release. So it's okay. Yeah. I have so much that more that I wanted to see. So much yeah, more. me too. Um, but you know what? It's, it's fine. There's, there's time. There's time in our lives. Just to end on a positive note here, am I right in thinking we've had some new donations? Yes, I felt like I, I wanted to, I'm going to mention them again in our next episode. Yes. Because I know that some people don't always listen to the bonus episodes, that like they like the series. And so I wanted to do them up, the, up at the top of uh-huh. the next Erotic Cinema episode. Um, but very quickly, Ian Healy, as I think, I think he donates every season lovely um which is really really nice and Susanna Vilches okay I'm so bad at this Su- uh Susanna Vilches Ahijado yes <laughs> Ahijado, I guess I'm so sorry I didn't practice beforehand I will get it better in the next episode <laughs> oh my um, gosh who is called Suspiria something on Instagram because yes. I, re- I know and she's like a great artist right she is a fantastic artist yes um and actually both these people gave us little messages um uh, but they're on paypal and i didn't like get them up in time so i will i will do this if it's okay with you i'll do this again no problem next Next time yeah sure thing um uh, like up up at the top rather than at the end yes of course yeah Yeah. that's lovely that's really really nice we so appreciate your support we love you for that it's really great oh nice yeah it's such a huge vote of confidence in us and it makes us feel so motivated to continue making content for you obviously if you haven't been able to donate if you could just spare a moment to like rate us highly on itunes and maybe even leave a review we would so appreciate that because that helps us reach more people it does any kind of i mean wherever you listen there's probably an opportunity to rate and review us or at least rate us yes um i think you can do it on spotify now oh um, i think you should be able to do it most of the places where you listen so Everything. yeah it does really help if you can't um if you can't donate right now which we totally understand of course yeah absolutely and i also just wanted to share the news with you that i reached 100 patrons <gasps> today just today i'm so excited and i'm so happy about that so um that's amazing well done (laughs) thank you so much i think i'll get you back on there at some point yes please yes so in the meantime we still got two more episodes in our erotic cinema series we've Mm -hmm. got paraphilias and then we're doing an also rans episode with dario yeah so you get even more erotic cinema than you bargained for um, and then after that, we'll start, we'll open the polls again, get on exactly. to the next series. Yeah, exactly. So exciting. <laughs> well, this well, has been a blast. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. And, yeah. And uh, have a lovely Sunday. You too. Bye. Bye.